Hey y'all, what's up? We're back. We I'm Desiree. Back. I'm Jalisa. And this is The, the Black, Black Girl, Girl Report. Report. An off-kilter podcast hosted by us two Black women in our 20s discussing the modern world mm-hmm. in our own perspectives. Yes. What's Ooh. up, girlfriend? It's so good to be here and... In a consecutive session, you know. I know. Trying to get back on track. I know. And then just getting to see you, you know. That's oh, really I why know. I, do I miss this. you so much. <laughs> What's been going on with you? Um, not much. Just working a lot and preparing, trying, preparing for being here. Mm-hmm. Um, don't we have a trip coming up? We do have a trip coming up. BGR is about to travel. BGR is going to LA, y'all. Yes, yes. Fun in the sun. I'm so excited. So we're going, yeah, we're going in July for FYF Fest. If y'all don't know, look at that lineup. Please do. I mean, I think Missy Elliott is the first person on the lineup and that is enough, honestly, for me to go. But But you know why, why I'm going. Because you want to see Yobu Frank Ocean. Frank Ocean. Accompanied by the queen. Solange. Solange. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Solange. Beautiful, beautiful Solange. There was also Panorama Fest. Me and some other friends were thinking about going to. That one's in New York. Where's Solange and Frank is going are going to be there? Okay. And Tribe. Um, I think that's in Brooklyn. Okay, that would have been dope. Sure. But there's just so so much happening. On I the know summer. this is like a really good summer. I feel like for festivals. To be honest, I like kind of lost my faith. In festivals, you know, I mean, living here with Chicago, and now we have Lollapalooza, which is like four days. Which long I still now. haven't been to. Oh, I or went Pitchfork. Or... Pitchfork is dope. I, the only festivals I've been to are Afropunk. See, that's all. I you never need. been to two of them. I feel like that's all you need. Or three. Lollapalooza. Two. It's when I went, I I didn't enjoy it very much. Isn't it like the Midwestern Coachella? It's like messy as fuck. Uh, I mean, if you want to call it that, I mean, like it's like thirteen-year-old <laughs> girls and dudes, you know, just tweaking out on drugs and everything. Which is like, you know, do you think? Do you think? Be young, I but, from Chicago, but I don't I live know. In Evanston. I'm a, I'm getting. I'm turning into the like older grouchy person. I feel like, unfortunately, is that what we call you, Auntie? Yes, I have the nickname. <laughs> See, everybody calls me that. I feel like you I'm, are Auntie, and I'm dressing the part more and more too. With the big hoops and the swooped hair. I know. You know, the pointed fingers. I need to just like press my hair out and like flip it out at the ends. Right. The get to some <laughs> um some pink curls. Yes, honey. And like blonde. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me some slides. <clears throat> Listen Don't to my your capri pants. My capri pants and my Anita Baker and Luther Vandross, you know? <laughs> and I'm all set. But yeah, that's really what I've been focusing on too. It's just like LA getting Trying to keep my head above water mm-hmm. and all these terrible things that, that have been are happening. happening around us. In 2017. Yeah. It's been a hell of a year and we're just getting started pretty much. And it's not normal. This year is not normal as Harry Con- uh, Condabalu would say. Off of Twitter. Um, Twitter activist? <laughs> no. Slash comedian. He would, he always tweets like day blah blah of the Trump administration. This is not normal. Oh gosh! Like yeah, if he this does is not that, normal. Yeah, and that's just so depressing to like day whatever of Trump. But it's but it's we so true. So long and it ago. sucks so much. I know. I mean, it just keeps chugging along. Now we have, you know, Planned Parenthood it's losing its funding. Yeah, 
Guys, this they is, did it, y'all. They did it. They did this. But you know After what? After everything. I'm really, I'm really, really hurt, you know, as a woman who has definitely, definitely used Planned Parenthood, been to Planned Parenthood numerous times. Mm -hmm. They've always been wonderful, very friendly, you know, accommodating, awesome services to women who, you know, don't have, you know, yeah. the best insurance and the most, you know, accessibility to all these I've never been, doctors, but... but I have friends that work within the company, you know, mm -hmm. traveling along with them and everything. So I've been able to keep up with the politics of it all. And it's just been so hard to watch because you're just, you're just watching them. You're just watching these volunteers figure out why there are men talking about the rights of our bodies. Something Doesn't they it, will never It's understand. so bizarre. It's so bizarre. Like, why is there a whole room of men figuring out what's white right for a woman? White men trying to tell all of us of women like, no, that's can, not happening to your do. body. You yeah, can't do it. And where no. we can go be seen to have, you know, to have access to these things like free birth control and testing and mm -hmm. you know. And it's a, it's a sad time, but I think as these things continue to happen, we have to just continue we have to remember to, to mobilize and stay together and yeah. you have to continue to fight. Try to figure out how we're gonna get the hell out of it. <laughs> Rome wasn't built in a day. No, it was not. And um man, that Cheeto Puff is on a move though, I gotta <laughs> say. I mean, he is Well, it was his VP that brought the whole thing down. Yeah. Mr. Pence. The last vote was to Pence, right? <laughs> like he was yeah. like the last deciding factor. And like of all people. That's what I'm saying. Pence. <laughs> The Everyone's devil. talking about like impeach Donald Trump, but dude, if, but we, dude, get if pence, we do that, we get pence. But then it's like, it's like, oh, you know, I don't even know what I would prefer. Someone there, someone in office who doesn't know what the hell they're doing or someone who knows oh too well how to strategize I just and say, manipulate things. <laughs> we just need them both to just be gone at the same time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that's all I'm going to say. I, just, I was reading a tweet a tweet, I guess it's not funny, or I guess it is, but I don't know. It was about like, it was saying that Ronald Reagan's shooter just got out of the psychiatric hospital and people are like, well, it's time for you to get back to work. Oh my <laughs> God. Like, oh my God. Like, I we mean, gotta stop. People are too yeah, quick. <laughs> yeah. It's it's getting there. I mean, that violent type of mind frame is, is what's, what's happening. happening. That's what happened. Did you hear about the dude in New York? The uh, the, the the one that was planning a massacre and yeah, did Times had Square practice. Massacre? Yeah. And went out there for practice. Shot Timothy Kaufman was his name, correct? Unreal. I can't even believe it. I can't even believe just, it. Just a random person, just just because he felt like it and wanted to. Yeah. And it's a it's a publicity thing too. It's it's been happening a lot of random ass attacks that are like, yeah, they've happened, but now it's just like so prevalent that people are doing it because they know it'll get them some type of media coverage, even though they know their asses gonna go to jail hopefully well yeah hopefully. The, and then the they're like whole... oh but it was just a joke what do you mean to do it the whole like, like you become a celebrity when you do stuff like that you know take your 15 minutes that's all it is is that what oj did anyway <laughs> that's basically what oj did but anyway that's neither here that's nor there, there. <laughs> that's a whole nother thing that's a whole nother thing but anyway moving on you you earlier you were on you were talking about the rainforest I was because I love animals. And mm -hmm. by the way, Planet Earth 
is creating a new season, y'all. So get ready for that. Wait, and what? Planet Earth is old as shit. And there's only one season. And now they're making another one. And I'm so excited. Wait a minute. Oh, wait. You're talking about... <laughs> oh, okay. no. Not, I... Our planet Earth is not having a baby. There's not a second Earth I... coming out. I thought <laughs> that you, about I literally show. thought that you were talking about the Earth <laughs> is making another season. Like, we're going to have five seasons. <laughs> What would that season be, though? I don't know. <laughs> Purgatory. I have no idea, but I was like, Des, this is breaking news. Like, this is... You almost spit out your choice. <laughs> For real. It's like, it's been my drink. I'm going to spit it out. I'm like, what do you mean, Planet Earth is getting... <laughs> anyway, okay. Let's bring it back down. Anyway. My bad. My bad. The Amazon, the rainforest, um, <clears throat> the portions in Brazil, obviously, they're about to start more mining and everything there, mm-hmm. kicking villagers out, Aboriginal folk out. And it's going to be a catastrophe because the oceans, which is our largest source of oxygens, are already being polluted so much with oil and other debris. So it's like we're going to lose that source. And then our second largest source are all these trees. Then also the bees are dying. The bees, I, I bees was just about are dying. to save the bees, you know, save I the noticed bees. that in high school, going outside one day and I was at the gate and there was just like a litter of bees just dead on the ground. This is like 2000, 2007, 2008. And I'm like, what's happened to the bees? Then there was a Doctor Who episode. They're like, what are happening to the bees? And then here we are. Here we are. Asking what are happening to the bees. Do you guys want fresh fruits and veggies? And clean air. Clean air, pollinated flowers and beautiful trees. I know bees suck. To a certain extent. But but if y'all like bees, you like Beyonce, Beyonce. do it for Beyonce. Maybe we should just make it like that for people to actually Save the bees. Care. Bee for bees. Do it for Beyonce. What would Beyonce Beyonce want you to do? WWBB, what would WWBB? WWBB. Come on, Beehive. What would Beyonce do? Beehive, really show up, show out for the real Where bees. Where the honey at? For the original bees, the OG bees. The OG bees. <laughs> the OG bees. I mean, we're making you know light of this. OGBs? <laughs> yeah, you know me. <laughs> Oh man. Anyway, anyway, we're making light of it, but damn, it's pretty it it's, it's, it's climate change is real hurtful. as well. Yeah, with Trump trying to already uh sign executive orders to get rid of all right, Obama's like, things that he put into place for climate change research and everything like that. It's just, and these national landmarks being just it's all the earth is just like crying and there's we're trying to help, but it's like they're just putting the earth on a, in a straight jacket and throwing her in a rubber room. It's like, stay there. Don't grow. Wow. That is a very, so very dark and I'm so sorry. analogy. I am so sorry. But it's real, uh, It is real. I mean, it's real, but damn. And we have to live here. We have to watch that. Yeah, we do. This will be... Okay. They're calling the earth crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. What happens when a woman's scorned? When a woman's fed up, <laughs> <laughs> there ain't, ain't nothing, nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, I don't know. Maxine Waters, let's talk about that. Miss Waters, all the sass. Yes. This black girl magic. This is the real deal black girl magic, if it ain't none. She said, What did she say? I'm, I will not be intimidated. 
I am a strong black woman, okay? Louder for the people in the back. I am a strong black woman. I probably shouldn't yell this microphone, but I will not be intimidated. You know? This is everyone's affirmations. Put it on the back of your bedroom door. Say it in the bathroom. When you wake up in the mirror, say that. I am a strong black woman. I cannot be intimidated. Even when you got people like, what was it, Bill O'Reilly? Yeah, saying I will not listen to her because of her hair. Are you like, a child? When you look at the president of the United States of this damn country, See, and you have the nerve to look at Maxine and say you're not going to listen to her because of her hair, please, boo-boo, get a grip. Get a grip. That's ridiculous. But you know Come what? She ain't phased. You think she bothered about that? She ain't no. bothered. You see, she was, she, she pulled a Rosa Parks. She's like, it's... no, <laughs> no, Excuse me? nah, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> for real. That's basically what she's she not did. having it. Mm-mm. Nope, she's not having it. So, Maxine, nope. you, you are, are our black, black girl, girl magic. magic. For real, for real, for real, for real, about for real, about for real. Some more great news working on an album or some music with Justin Timberlake and, and Timbaland. Timbaland and. And a whole bunch of other people. Yeah, it's a good season for music. I feel like I'm feeling. And he's creating a show or movie musical about his life. Yes, I will be watching. Kendrick has new music. It's beginning to be a wonderful 2017 for the entertainment industry. I feel that way. Yeah, movie and music wise for the black community, Mm -hmm. we are really putting it all out there, reclaiming what is ours, at least trying to. And that's what's beautiful. It's kind of like. It's kind of like a Harlem Renaissance again, in mm-hmm. a way. A lot mm-hmm. of like re, like just energy into Black creative. Yeah, and everyone's you know, coming out stuff. together as a community, just like just like then. Everyone's just together in this one area, showing off what they got, sharing it. It's a good time. I mean, to go back to Kendrick Lamar, who is also yeah. Bay, my Gemini <laughs> Bay, my fellow Gemini. Shout out to all the Gemini's out Gemini's. there in the world. Um, did you read? I think I posted this on Facebook a few days ago. Like, who is rumored to be on his album? It's like no Thundercat, D'Angelo, Andre Three Thousand, oh, Andre, um, Robert Glasper. Like, just sick. And I hope it's true. I hope it's not alternative facts. Alternative, and that facts. it's really, really gonna happen. Because Kendrick Lamar, I just, uh, he just. Because he understands, like an insecure when she's talking, when they're talking about Drake, and she's like, "He just gets us. He just gets us." <laughs> it's like, it's like we, have, we have our Drake side, you know, our vulnerable side, and then we have our Kendrick side, where it's like, "Okay, it's time to get shit done." Yeah, it is. It is. I'm here to speak. I'm standing in front of you. Listen to me. Hear me roar. Yeah. Speaking of getting shit done, our guest that we have tonight. Manal Baig. She gets shit done. Okay. So hold tight. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. So, you heard us ramble on and on. There was a lot of stuff happening in the political verse. Mm-hmm. So Way too much. We that's why we had to end it on a high note with Pharrell and Kendrick Lamar. Exactly. So we are back with our amazing, talented, 
well versed into everything the Swiss Army knife of a person. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> Hymenhoff, thank you for coming to the show. Thanks so much for having me, guys. And thanks for letting us call you Minnie. Minnie, it's gonna, gonna feel so much more personal. Only you guys, though. Only you guys. Okay, we exclusive. Yeah, exclusive. Now. Okay, I love well, it. Yeah. So welcome. Thank you for joining us on the Black Girl Report. Mm-hmm. Um, first off. Tell us where you're from. Yeah. I was born and raised in Chicago. Chi-town. Yes. What part? Like, what we're about? I live... My family still lives in the same house we had, like, 30 years ago in West Rogers Park. Beautiful. Oh, dope. I used yeah. to live in Rogers Park, Um, so that's cool. But, it's yeah. awesome. So, just Chicago born and raised. Chicago born and raised, for real. But real. For real, real. <laughs> Inside Chicago. Because people always ask, they're like, are you really from Chicago? Like, why, why, why wouldn't you be? Like, how how can I not? They're like, yeah, but are you from Evanston? I'm like, no. no. <laughs> Chicago. Like, I, I'm not the one. Okay. Yeah. I was born and raised here. Um, I went to school on the East Coast. Um, I've been living, I've been back and forth between here and Los Angeles. Okay. So that's my story. Yeah. And what's gotten you running? Where did you go to school on the East Coast? We don't want to give it away. <laughs> I went to Yale. Yeah, 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 yeah. We got Ivy League here today. Some royalty. That is so amazing. Thank you. (laughs) I went to Yale. I studied fine arts. I studied painting for four years, which was amazing and changed my life. And I actually didn't even know that I wanted to be a filmmaker until I graduated, which was kind of an interesting experience because I was I was never one of those kids where I like knew I wanted to direct when I was Mm -hmm. like five. You know, like those people with pictures of themselves with their Super 8 camera. I'm yeah, like, that was not exactly me. what they want to do. Yeah, they got it all planned out. Yeah. yeah. You're like, no, I do not have those photos. So how did you get from painting to filmmaking? Because those, even though they're both in the art field, those are two very drastically different mediums. Because you got journalism thrown in there too somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Tell us about this journey. I will. Um, <laughs> I will. I'll go way back, way back. Um, when I was in high school, I was actually one of. I think it was my junior year summer, I was making this radio documentary um, and it was about segregation in Chicago public schools. Mm-hmm. And it was this really amazing experience because I didn't really like the journalism that was happening at my high school, like in the paper. I wasn't really interested in that so much. I was really drawn to these stories of like outs- of the outside and like really investigating. And that's why I thought I might want to be a journalist. Mm-hmm. And when I was applying to colleges, I applied to Northwestern to the mid the Medill School of Journalism, which is like one of the best places to study. Yeah, it's amazing. And one of you know, I think one thing that changed for me was I realized I knew I wanted to tell stories. I just didn't know. I wasn't completely convinced I was going to. I wanted to be a journalist and only tell like these are these are nonfiction stories. These are like true stories right. out in the world. And then when I went to college, I was painting partly because I'd always been drawing and like that was a part of myself that was not really encouraged when I was growing up. Like it was one of those things that my parents kept hoping would go away. Like, yeah. oh, she's going to grow up and it's eventually grow up. She'll find she's something practical it. later. Right. And then I kept doing it. <laughs> and just they're like, oh, goodness. And I told them I wanted to be an art major. And the reason it looked very practical because – when else in your life are you going to just have like no obligations like you don't have to pay rent you just study something you love for four years and I was mm-hmm. like I want to study painting like whether or not I decide to be a painter after graduation is sort of like I'm not going to think about that right now I'm going to just invest in myself 
And I really loved the painting program there. They, you know, the professors in the graduate program taught the undergraduates. So it was oh, like, wow. it was, we didn't have a separate faculty. And that was like one of the biggest assets of the program was I knew that I would have the same professors as like the MFA students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it was a, huge. And it, our, <clears throat> our program was like largely practice-based. It wasn't like, here's a lecture and you like take a lot of notes. It was like, develop your craft, develop your voice, develop the things that you care about. And we would have critiques and we would have shows. And when I, in my junior year summer, the summer before I graduated, I was um, interning for a film producer in New York. And I recognized then that even though I love painting so much and there was something about painting that I still miss, which is like this very, this instant gratification, gratification you get when you like make something and you have it and it's a physical object and it's real and it's done. You feel like Bob Ross. You're like, you feel real. <laughs> yeah, it makes it, right. it, it's really satisfying in a way that's hard to explain. Like it's, it's like why so many people turn to art for therapy is because yeah. it really makes you feel like oh, you've yeah. done something. You create something with your hands, you know, very, you know, that you. Yeah. And it's different yeah. than like nowadays people are like go on Instagram and they like, like a bunch of pictures and it's like not the same. You don't get the same <laughs> gratification mm -hmm. out of doing mm -hmm. something like that because it's almost too easy. Whereas you're like making a painting like, it was like this very like laborious process. We like really had to go through it, go through something <laughs> to yeah, make it. Exactly. But then I, uh, one thing I just out of college, I recognized was that painting was a very exclusive community in New York. I mean, there's a lot, there's a, a lot of diverse artists, but the artists that we were seeing were like in the major galleries and I saw it as a very exclusive community. And I mean, I was fortunate to have like an art education and studied art history and learned a lot about like how artists relate with each other through time. And that's such a big part of like understanding a painting. And I recognize that the way I viewed artwork changed so much after I learned all of that. Mm -hmm. And that actually made me sort of disappointed how exclusive art has become. But the conversation is like 100 people in a gallery with white walls and paintings and it's not something that everyone can access in a way that I think film film and even music can in a bigger way, like where it's just very culturally accessible. It's culturally relevant. Like people are talking about movies and music and you don't need to have prior knowledge. You know, yeah, like you can yeah. go into you can go into like Jurassic Park and not know anything about dinosaur science or anything and you can enjoy it. You can listen to you know, even very obscure music and really love it and not need to know anything about it, not need to know anything about its history or all of that. So there's, <laughs> there's That's that. very true and I very valid. about the art community too. Yeah. When I moved out here, everyone's like, oh, the painting kids. Oh, the painting <laughs> classes. Like, oh, I guess I took painting. I'm not doing it anymore. And it's like you, when you learn, when you learn art history, because I did take art history as well. Um, it's all about painting. That's like one of the first visual mediums yeah. so it's like all about the painting and so when you do talk about that with other people you have to get into all these artists and everything you have to know about this and that and who and it's what such a history right and it's yeah. like you if you don't know that you kind of feel bad so you're like maybe painting isn't for me and like you said with film and movies everything's so relatable it is very and i think that's what drew me to it was like i wanted to i wanted to tell stories that were accessible like i want anyone to be able to watch one of my movies and take away something from it. I don't want it to be for just an exclusive group of people. And that's kind of the reason why I don't really make like experimental film is like, I think it's, I really love like 
having structure and classical storytelling and it I think it speaks to people and there's really deep-seated there's something deep-seated about it like there's something that it taps into something deeper within us where we're like we feel it and it's just universal and that's what I'm trying to capture in my movies so when did you get that first push to like okay you know what this is exactly what I'm going to do I'm going to start putting like planting these seeds to make my first film like when did that happen for you and how was that process it actually came about I mean I did a little bit of it in college but took a few video classes but they were they weren't so much about telling stories I think they weren't I think for me it's always like I need to have a story first I can't Mm -hmm. just go out and make something I'm not one of those people where I'm like Ooh, that looks like a cool visual. Like I want to capture it. Like yeah. I really, I have to know like act one, act two, act three in my head because mm-hmm. I'm obsessive like that. But it really came to me when I was in 2012 when I was I graduated college. I was working at a talent agency in Los Angeles, and I was an assistant there. And I realized then I there this was a job I'd been chasing for like a year. It's a very coveted job in Hollywood. It's an entry-level position where you get to be in the mailroom of the talent agency. You get to witness how, like, sort of, you get to be sort of at the center of a hub Mm -hmm. of a Hollywood. And you learn a lot. But you're not really, you don't get to make things. You know, you're not, you're assisting an agent who is servicing their clients who are artists, like writers, directors, actors. And I was there for four months and I quit because I just realized, like, if I stay here, I will never make anything. Yeah. I was working a lot. I was like working like 50 plus hours a week trying to, you know, I thought like I would cut my teeth on this and eventually I would leave and it would be fine. But I saw all these people around me that had been there for years, literally they haven't, they haven't moved up. And some of them were aspiring writers and directors. Comfortable. It'll happen one day. It's scary. It's scary to leave. It, it took me, it took a lot because I don't think of myself as a quitter. Mm-hmm. so a lot of what was keeping me back for a while was just like I can't quit like this was my dream like I have to I have to go through with this but then I just I saw that the things that made me happy were so different from what I was doing on a day-to-day basis and that was that was it for me it was like November of 2012 I was like nope not doing this anymore yeah, I'm gonna it. if I have to live on my parents couch for a while and figure it out like that's a better use of my time than for being sure. yeah than being at this desk and then that led you to making, so was One Night your directional debut? Yeah, that was my first movie. Mm-hmm. It was a story that I pitched to a director, producer, who came to a reading of a play um, that I had in New- in Los Angeles. I was, I was so desperate to just make something, even though I wasn't, like, out there and, like, I wasn't doing it on, like, a nine-to-five. I was working my day job, and in the meantime, I was writing, directing, and casting this play called This is Los Angeles, which is a really embarrassing, (laughs) super embarrassing play that I will never see the light of day. But in, you know, I invited all my friends and they invited people. And one of the people who showed up, Hans Canosa, he's a director and a producer. He was there. He watched the play. And we talked about it afterwards. And he's like, what are your ambitions? Like, What do you want to do? And I said, I want to be in film. I want to I like I put up this play because it was like these are my resources and this is what I can do with what I have, mm-hmm. which is like I have zero dollars. <laughs> um, but I want to do movies, and he said, "Do you have any ideas?" And so I thought about. It. I went away, and the summer before I, you know, gotten this job, I had been thinking about this movie about two couples 
that reconnect over the course of one night at a hotel. And I wanted it to be like, you know, kind of like the before trilogy that Richard Linklater has made where it was very talky and, you know, dialogue driven, but, you know, spoke to emotional truths about relationships and love. Yes, very relatable, very just everyone can watch that or just identify with that type of situation. Yeah. And so I that's what I was working on for much of 2013. We got a casting director on board um, from New York and he helped us cast the movie. We got financing um, in 2014, the beginning of 2014. We shot it and it was the fall of 2014. We spent a year in post. It was a very low budget movie. And then it premiered at Austin Film Festival last year. So it was a long process for this film, but that's normal. That's a really normal process. Usually the average independent film takes between five and seven years. Wow. Yeah, from start to finish. And my process was not that long. <laughs> I feel like that's a misconception. I feel like people just assume like, oh, it's an indie film. And, you know, you had to. Right. Like, you took uh, like a small house camera. Yeah. You know, around your indie backyard. just somehow means like, you know, just DIY in a way like a little people. journal. Yeah. 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 They don't really it's, realize that. So. Like it, Sundance wouldn't be that big if indie films were just yeah that. <laughs> no, a lot of a lot of indie films nowadays are just they're just as challenging to put together as studio studio movies. Like you yeah. still need to cast it and you know do all this work that would go into any movie and the quality of it. Sometimes you really can't tell. Like Arrival is an independent movie. Mm. Nobody knows that. I didn't know that, and that was a great ass movie. <laughs> it's a great movie, also independent. It wasn't made within the studio system, so you know the and the range of indie movies, like their budgets, can be anywhere from like literally six hundred dollars to you know anything. It could be zero dollars, and then you have movies like Arrival that are like forty million, and that they can all exist in this. They're all independent. Independent just means where the money's coming from. Mm-hmm. If right. it doesn't come from a studio, it's indie, and usually under five million is like. At like real indie, like the kinds of movies that are at Sundance and other fat film festivals. Oh, wow. So how did you transition your painting work to filmmaking? Like as artists, you take your experiences and put them into your work. So did you transition any of your like painting pieces into, into your writing to produce these films or any future films that you have in mind? I think it's, I felt like I'd been writing all this time too. I've always considered myself a writer. Like when I was young, I thought I might be a writer, but there's something about the visual part of it that's really important to me. Mm-hmm. Like as much as I love reading novels, I know that I could I couldn't write one because it's just a different process of different brain process I need to have visual. So when I was transitioning from painting to film, a big part of it was the work became way more personal. Like for painting, there was this weird thing that happened to me in college where it was like everything had to be so serious like we had to pursue serious subject matter and by serious I mean like formal like exploring formal questions which I find less interesting now I think I'm I've always been more drawn to the storytelling which is why I was drawn to journalism when I was younger Mm -hmm. it was that it's not so much the formal aspect of you know like an image that got me excited it was more how can I tell the story in the best way visually. So my earliest painting work was very abstract and it was kind of divorced from my personal life. But as I was moving out of that and I was moving into film, the scripts I was writing and the images I was seeing and the movies I was watching, they all became a way more 
just more like in the vein of things like that surround me and like that I care about. And that was a big change too, because I would, I would look at the art in the big galleries and you would think you would be able to tell a lot about the person who made them. But so often you don't. Yes. Like sometimes mm-hmm. like there's some artists like Carrie Marshall that I, wa- I look at, I look at his work and you're like, like you yeah, get it. You yes, get it. Yes. And, and he's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. But then there's a lot of art that's there that you're like, <laughs> you're like, huh? Like, I, yeah. don't know, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know. You don't feel anything really. Yeah. <laughs> like there was this piece that I, 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 that was actually in Chicago. I'm forgetting which, I'm forgetting which, um, museum it was at but it was a piece by felix gonzalez torres and he does a lot of his work about his you know sort of issues in the lgbtq community and it's like when i was looking at art like that or carrie's work i started to sense that these were people that were trying to make their work really personal and social and socially relevant because so for a long time the reason why people are being pushed away from fine art was this like i don't get anything out of it like what mm-hmm. am i like I am a human being living in 2017. Like, what does this do for me? And I think art is now moving in that direction. I think films do it even more because we have to tell. And it may be because partly because they're more accessible is you see so much more of yourself in them. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily that you have to see yourself like literally one to one, but you need to see a humanity that resembles your own. So, Like, I get that. Like, I don't. Like, even if a person looks different than you, you recognize their humanity and you see your own humanity mm-hmm. mirrored in that. And that's when the transition to film became real for me was I saw that I could do that better in movies. And I, I hadn't quite figured out how to do it in painting because I just, one, I was like too early in my career. Like I, maybe if I'd spent like 20 years painting, I would get there. But with film, it was like such an easier process to be like, who is this character? Because the questions were about like, who is the protagonist? Mm-hmm. What is yeah. their go- what is their journey? And that felt like it, it kind of like you could basically say like, who are you and what is your journey and like what are your obstacles and what are your personal flaws? It just was more human. It's a more detailed experience. Yeah, yeah, sure. When you talked about like representation, like, um, did you ever feel like you didn't see yourself represented in film? Oh and did God, you, you yes. know, like. Oh how God. was that? You know, trying I to figure so out how to. to say about this. Yeah, please definitely <laughs> weigh in on that. So I've. It's really interesting because when I, the part of the reason why I didn't grow up thinking I wanted to be a filmmaker was that was not in the realm of possibility for me. Like everybody I like, like you would see pictures of directors, and they were always white and male. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, definitely. And the first movie <laughs> I watched in American theaters was Jurassic Park, and I love Jurassic Park. But then I looked at the director and I'm like, like oh, I don't look like that. I don't yeah. like, but he's he's amazing. But I don't look like him. And I I thought there was some kind of special training that you needed to be a filmmaker. But then I got to college and I saw that there's all these filmmakers that have not gone to film school that don't have special training. And actually, a lot of them did start out in fine art, which is very interesting. Like Steve McQueen and Catherine Bigelow were both fine artists. Oh, and studied I painting. About Steve McQueen. That's funny. yeah. And so and he's still he still makes some fine art it's just mm. that both of them were also compelled to making movies out of their work and i i think it's it you know as soon as i left uh left college and i moved to la i did notice the startlingly startlingly lack like the lack of representation in film like 
in behind the camera at least i know there's always there's always conversation about the actors and like the people in front of camera but i do think that the job of directing is less about like you know what what is your visual style it's more about what is your perspective on the world yes and right, you and if you don't have people from different backgrounds the perspectives are going to start to look the and same and it's going to reflect that when you get to the casting and everything right. else if it doesn't come from the behind the scenes who's writing these right. you know movies and these scripts yeah. so. and and when we've studied you know the Sundance Institute and USC has like you know completed studies on this where if there's a woman behind the camera in the director role, she will hire more women, you know, on her in her in her crew, and will work. There will be more female roles, and it's not because they are like, hmm, I'm a woman, I should hire more women. It's they don't they see women as equals, you know. They're like, oh, like I could just as well hire a woman for this as a man, and they're equally mm-hmm. if they're equally, you know, qualified for this job. You know, it's it's. It's very interesting when you look at the data about how changing the role, changing just even the director does for the rest of the movie. And one, you know, when I'm part of this group called Film Fatales, and it's the largest group of female directors in, well, in the one I'm in is like the large. It's like about 800 female directors, and Whoa. it's a big network. Oh yeah, that's and so huge. you get to you get to see, you know. There's, I mean, there's also challenges in like it's not just women who are underrepresented; it's like minorities, mm-hmm. persons of color, on both. So <laughs> there's a very small number of people who look like me who are writing and directing, and the it's partly a pipeline problem. Like, you know, I think that I was never encouraged to be an artist or to make movies because that's just not the kind of careers that my parents thought were like suitable for me. And I imagine that's also the case for other person, you know, other mm-hmm. minorities, where it's like yeah. you're choosing your stability, which makes a lot of sense. Get a trade, get something get a, that's yeah. going to be way more stable for you. Yeah, you know, and yeah. L- yeah, learn learn something that will lead to a real job. Yeah, and so that's part of it. But the other part of it is we do. I think it's like if you pitching if you're pitching a movie, it comes. You know, again, I'm speaking from as a writer director. It comes from a certain point of view, and you might not be able to relate with the point of view if you never, you don't see the value in it. So that's why you need diversity on all sides. You need diversity on buyers, studio people, studio executives, development executives. So it's not just you're pitching to the same people over and over. Because yeah. it doesn't, it, the whole system has to change. It's not just, oh, we need to encourage more women to direct. It's like, yes, but also, what about the people they're pitching to? Like, should we get more diversity there? So maybe when, it's not that I have to be a woman to understand a woman's story. It's that maybe as a woman, I might find something in it that's valuable and that if I were not a woman, I would just overlook. Be like, oh, okay. Like, I don't really see, you know, what's what's so exciting about this idea. Yeah. I mean, women's stories have been largely, you know, ignored. And, you know, male narratives are so commonplace now. And it's really t- troubling. <laughs> like, there's no, there's like no shortage of female stories, you know, that like we all have so many you know we have all so many yeah. things to say and we're not represented never ending. It's never <laughs> right. ending and we're not represented and then it affects you know our you know the media that we consume we and they see. tell you to come on more women do more of this do more of this and it's like we can but someone has to hire us someone does have to hire mm-hmm. and they have it's to like, believe in you the, the way right. they believe in your white male counterpart those resources mm-hmm. need to be there so i don't know that's I why just, you just get one woman or one poc or what have you in the door to lead the way 
and the it's rest happening. of us. Yeah, it's happening. Like Ava DuVernay has done this. Is oh yeah, she hired all female directors on her TV show. A lot of people said there were networks that said we can't hire all female directors, and she did it. She literally did it. Yeah, she like, like what you mean? Why? Excuse Why? me. Can you tell me the difference, <laughs> please? Watch the, me do it. Yeah, the reasons would be like, oh, we can't find experienced people. We don't know people who want to do it. And she literally came up with a list of female directors that could do it, did a great job, and now we're getting hired everywhere that else. That always pisses me off whenever I hear, oh, well, why don't you just do it? There's no, or there's no one who could have done this or could have played this role. Or there's like, there's always, there's always someone. There's not somebody the one that you want. like. Hey, come on, you know. And that work, I'm, and you know, Ava herself was supported by Oprah. You know, to like, to, she was empowered by another woman with a lot of power. So you need to have, mm-hmm. like, it trickles down and definitely, like, women hire more women, minorities hire more minorities. Like, even, you know, Donald Glover's TV show, yeah, Atlanta, yeah. has an all-black writer's room. Yes. Which yep. makes sense. And he's doing what he thinks is, like, this is, uh, these perspectives need to be shared and it needs to come from a real place. And I think that as, you know, persons of color and women are, you know, rising up in the ranks, they are looking around in their own communities for people who haven't had a platform for their stories yet. And how can we help? You know, how can we help each other? Was that a source that you drew on for um, making Hala? Um... So Hala, actually, it was a really challenging thing to write because I knew that when it would go out there, it would be met with either, why do we need this story? A coming-of-age story. I wrote this script in twenty late 2015, you want to give us like a really brief synopsis yeah, let's right. so, listeners? So Hala is about a <laughs> Muslim teenager reconciling her personal desire with family obligations. And while she's doing all of this, she's undergoing a sexual sort of awakening. And it is a story that I feel really compelled to share. I think I one of the things I did was when I before I even wrote it, I was looking for other movies that could be about the subject. There were none. I literally mm-hmm. looked up Muslim teenager coming of age. No films. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And at the time, you know, it was just like, I need to write this coming of age story. This this is something that I don't see. I haven't seen a film like this before. And if I'm not going to do it, then who is? You know, if I. Yes. If I, and a lot of like sometimes, you know, there's there's people who are like, well, why do I got to? Why do I have to do this story? It's like because. You do. You, you don't it, see that. Create that lane, then. Yeah, create the lane. And so this was this was a story I was really passionate about. I wrote the script, and I knew it was going to be a challenge. It was going to be an uphill battle. And we did. We, you know, my manager and I went out with the script, and I we got a lot of sort of you know the usual like what is so compelling about this that needs to be shared right now. And a year went by. <laughs> And we now have Donald Trump as president. And suddenly the interest in the movie was renewed because people who had previously thought, oh, like Muslims, that's, you know, that's not a hot button issue. Yeah. It became one. And it, it wasn't something real for them. It wasn't something that I was like planning on or knew about. I thought the election was going to go the other way, but it ended up being something that brought this, you know, the sort of like this perspective, like the Muslim perspective is something we largely don't understand, especially the Muslim diaspora in America. And I think that has really helped the film gain some, 
you know, fans and people who are looking for this thing. And it's not just other Muslim people. When the short film premiered on Nylon, it was a lot of girls from all different backgrounds contacting me from all over the world, like Facebook messages, Instagram messages. It was really kind of, it was really amazing. And they were saying, I, I relate with this so much. There were girls from like Pakistan who were emailing mm -hmm. me. Like, I love, like, no, I can't even talk about this kind of stuff. Like, I can't, like, this, I, I'm, like, I feel this so much. Just so important. So how much it was needed. Yeah, it's, just, it's overwhelming. People when can't you even talk about it. It's not it, made because of is. people can't watch it. Mm -hmm. Out of like religious beliefs and everything. Yeah. yeah. And then you come out with it and it's like, fuck it. <laughs> I love it. This is me. And it's hard. Well, if you're in a position where you're part of a community where, like, I grew up Muslim, and it's, it's a conserv, it's a socially conservative faith, like mm -hmm. in a lot of respects. And I think that when I was growing up, it was always like this struggle between like I live in a very Western, you know, I live in the Western world, and yet my faith is, you know, pulling me in one direction, and like, you know, I'm going to public school surrounded by people who are largely not Muslim. And I'm socializing with these people and I'm spending more time with those people than I am with my parents. And I'm starting to form these relationships where I feel more of a connection here than I do here. But I'm always reconciling these things because I'm always going to be this no matter what. I can't escape mm -hmm. this identity. And the question is, like, do I even want to escape that identity? It is, it is an important part of who I am and how I was raised. And it's important to my parents. And so these all these tensions that were, like, the struggle of growing up like this and leading sort of a double life. These are all things that were in the script and it was painful to write because some of it is pretty dark and kind of scary because it's things that are not easy to talk about. They're things that when I was writing them, I'm like, I don't know if I want my family to know about this Yeah, because it's, it's so raw. It's, it's just, there's parts of it that are like hard for anyone to reconcile. Like if you, and I know of people who come from like super religious Christian backgrounds and they struggle with the same thing or, you know, what have you. And it's that I hadn't seen that in a movie before from this perspective. I was growing up not seeing that representation. I was like, oh, maybe, you know, like maybe there's something out there that represents the struggle and there wasn't. And I really am making it, you know, because of that. And I feel really close to it. It's just a, a it's been a passion project for years and we're finally fingers crossed shooting a feature oh this yeah. year yes yes we're gonna put out all the the positive vibes getting positive that vibes. getting that fingers out crossed. there put them into the world <laughs> <laughs> seriously because yeah i just want to continue to see you do this and speak up and create this line for people because you know just being a black woman i understand what you mean when you say you know like you never seen that perspective or like it's not um, encouraged for you to talk about certain things in the black community. You know, there's a lot of things with being queer, you know, that there's a lot of social hush hush. And it's wild to think about in 2017 with all the stuff that we face just as people of color mm -hmm. that we still have these personal hurdles to get over, like within our own communities. Right. Um, that get in the way. You know, you would kind of think that when you look at the bigger scope and what's threatening us that we would kind of get you know, right. over some of these things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think social, pro but, yeah, it's like you think, oh, like we're such as we are socially, such socially progressive people, but I think communities and cultures are slow to change. 
I think we like, you know, it's amazing that Moonlight was able to win yeah. Best Picture. And that's yeah. still pretty uh, phenomenal. And that's the, no one was expecting that. That was a very it was a big step. Not for, even the people who announced it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't expecting. No, it. <laughs> that was a big step for Hollywood, though, because it was recognizing that this not only was it about a subject matter that we needed a movie about, but it was also such a beautiful movie from start to finish. Every aspect of it, the cinematography, the sound design, the mm-hmm. acting, everything was like top notch and that those stories could be told in this for, you know, in this form with equal technical craft and all, you know, all these things, which usually they're not associated with, which yeah. is frustrating because so many of those stories are, you know, given a low budget treatment, which sucks. It sucks for us because I think that these stories deserve like this, you know, real careful attention, the same attention that like goes into La La Land. And that's what Barry did with Moonlight is he really took it to another level, which was like this story is as cinematic and compelling yep. and necessary as, as, as anything in 2017. Like you need to watch it. It was a movie that, you know, a lot of people who had never even wanted to go to, like go, barely go to the movies were saying, oh, like I need to go see Moonlight. Mm-hmm. It's hard for a movie to break into that stratosphere of like mainstream, you know, audience goers who would rather, you know, would purchasing tickets to like the big Marvel movies are also standing in line for Moonlight. That's a new phenomena, I think. And it's indie movies are starting to do that because I think audience are, audiences are like, no, we want to see different stuff. Yeah. Like, give us the stuff. We're ready for yeah, it. We're Plus, ready now. The theaters have been lost in the sauce when it comes to movies. <laughs> lost like, in the sauce. Like, everything's, everything's yes. a remake. <laughs> everything's a revamp. Like, yeah. everything's a sequel. Yeah, you know, redo now it. So I just bring these narratives out now. Like, let's bring them all to fruition. They're out there and we're ready for them. We're tired of talking about them behind the scenes. Like, yeah, we need to bring and also to let empower people who come from those perspectives to tell those stories. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, Don't have someone's publicist come out like, yeah, they thought this. Like, but let us hear from them. <laughs> or like, let them make <laughs> the movie, right? Let like, them make the movie. Let them have control of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a long time, like Hollywood had where, you know, was making movies about black communities, but. Black people no. weren't making those movies. Right. Yeah. right. But now <laughs> the black, you know, the black community in Hollywood is a very strong community and they are very supportive of one another. And mm-hmm. they realize, like, look, we have thing we have these stories that we want to tell. We should write them, we should direct them, we yep. should hire our friends who come from these backgrounds to you know, like we it's happening now. Like it's a revolution. We yeah. were talking about this earlier, you know, that we I kind of feel like it's kind of like a Harlem Renaissance of, of sorts, you know, again, of just mm-hmm. like creativity within the black community and just as within, you know, just people of color. Just we're all just coming up, showing out and kicking ass. Kicking we're, ass. Like, we're like, let us give us the microphone. Yeah. You know, hand us the mic. Let Let's me, you know, it. let me spit a few bars. <laughs> On this, Bars. you know, that's a bar. Yeah. So <laughs> you kind of jumped into, I, you did a music video. Oh, yeah. yeah. Comics. Comics. Yeah. I do a lot. Like, Short films. What do you have coming up next? Right. <laughs> like, so, how, do, how does it feel to be so awesome? I don't so, even know. <laughs> so I'm working on this comic with this artist I 
we we did this short comic last year. I'm doing an anthology, and it's going to be like a collection of these short stories in a comic format. And that is something that's a long-term project. I've just turned in the right the stories for the first book. Mm-hmm. So we're working on that. And that's a long-term project of mine because I love comics. And I've always wanted to write comics. I think there's something about them. Again, like it takes so much work to make a movie that you have to find other outlets in the meantime while your projects are percolating <laughs> through the system because it can take years. I mean, and comics to me, again, like bring back that feeling of like instant gratification that like Kunta mm-hmm. gave me is that you have this physical object that's published and you can read it and you can hand it out to people and they could buy it at a comic store. And it's, it's really amazing. So I'm working on a comic. Um, fingers crossed Hollow is being shot this year. Mm-hmm. So that's a big mm-hmm. deal. Mm-hmm. I'm also developing a TV show, which I'm really Hot excited damn. about. <laughs> y'all taking excited. notes out there? Right. Y'all better be taking notes for real. Please remember. So this name. TV show. I can't talk too, I can't get okay. too many details, okay. but okay. it's, it's science fiction. Exclusives. Yeah, it's, it's science fiction. I'm super excited about it. Um, I All the science fiction I love is always exploring social issues. And it's doing it in a format that's just like, like, it's not like, this is our world right now. It's like, this is our world maybe 20, 30 years from now. And our social issues have not gone away. They might have mm. been exacerbated in certain ways. Mm-hmm. I'm really, I'm really excited about this show because I'm really wanted to get into longer form storytelling. I think it's really, there's certain stories you just can't tell in 90 minutes. So I'm excited about that. I'm also developing i'm developing a lot of feature scripts but there's one i want to i want to do set in chicago and i do want to i really do want to shoot something here um i've been doing a lot of research and sort of wanting to you know like when i was younger i listened to this radio documentary called ghetto life 101 have you heard of it no oh i have not but it's amazing and it follows the lives of two kids in chicago living in the ida b uh, projects in the early 90s and it's a very it's a very necessary story to talk about the lives of the people that were living in the projects because I think a large part of the reason why Chicago is the way that it is the reason why it's so much so segregated the reason why our public school system is failing or not serving its students to the best of its ability is that the city has per- participated in this system, these systems of oppression. And part of it was the low-income housing projects. Mm-hmm. And people have forgotten about that because they've all been torn down. But it's... Like Cabrini Green and all yes, of that. Yes, mm-hmm. but it's a part of Chicago's history. Yeah. And it was like people lived in these buildings. They were forced to like move and relocate. And that's that's those are lived... That's lived history in these people. And that's a history that we've come to deny. We don't connect it with the violence that happens here, the gun violence and the, you know, violence against the black community by the police. So I really want to write and direct a story about that, but that's very early stages of development. It's something I need to do a lot of research and talk to a lot of people because it's really important that it's done in such a way that's not exploitative. Yeah. That's the danger of like coming into community and you're like, this is interesting. And it's like, well, no, you have to do (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) Shrek. Sorry. (laughs) You You need to do it in a way that respects the integrity of the subjects and attempts to share 
something about their experience that is not a stereotype. It's not something that you would just be like, okay, this is these are the stories of poor people living with projects. Like, no, these were real communities of people who survived in very harsh conditions, and they still live. In, some of them live still live here. And they're like they. This was their life, and you need to like. At least I feel this real responsibility to respect that and respect their experiences. So that's a bigger long-term project that I'm working on. And I feels really close to me because I grew up in Chicago and I want to film something here and have local crew yeah. on it and like really up? engage the community. So that's long-term. You've got so many things coming up. We're so excited to see... Just to see how you continue to unfold. I mean, like, thank you. You're a trailblazing through, right? Like right. for real, this is awesome. So thank you. So you know, much. love everything that you that you've done Every and everything thing. that you're going to do. Yeah, that you're striving towards messages you're trying to get out there, and for us POCs especially, for us <laughs> for real, holding it down, women, holding it down, women rural. Well, we're gonna um take a quick break. Then we're gonna come back with our cool down session. Ooh. We're gonna ask you some fun, some fun questions. We're gonna have our FMK and our, um, and our Would you rather? And our would you rather? Get you so a we're gonna bit. completely switch it up. So yes, yeah, so you guys Shake hang tight. Shake it out, and we'll be Shake right back. Wild turkey whiskey. <laughs> oh my gosh, you got, you got the Mc... thumbs up. Your Matthew McConaughey accent. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. <laughs> hey y'all. Welcome back to the Black Girl Report. <laughs> yes. Uh, we just spoke with Manal Bai. Uh, uh, we like to call her Minnie. Minnie. We yes. never called you Minnie at all. No, we were, it just if we got too into it. We were like, serious. It wasn't time for that. No, our we fingernails. Was, we were way too serious. But now Minnie, we to be cooling down so we can address you as Minnie now. So this is our cool down sesh. So we're gonna get into it. FMK, you okay. familiar with? I am. I'm also terrified. Okay, don't be, don't, don't be, be terrified. Don't be. It's not gonna be hard. It's not gonna be hard. It'll be fun. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, we um, always try to pick people that coincide with whatever our guests was speaking on, or you know what their what their art we is. We try to pick up on what so, what your type might be. <laughs> so. Let's get into it. Go ahead, All right, guys. FMK. Who's here's who we have: <clears throat> Mahershala Ali, Jay Ellis, and Daniel Kaluuya. Oh damn! <laughs> First so we got of all. Moonlight, Insecure, and Get Out. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't recognize the names, that's pretty. That's a good list. Mm-hmm. I was very proud. I'm of this just one. scared of who I'm gonna say to kill because what if I work with them in the future? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh disclaimer: true. just because I Tread say I want to kill someone, does this not is mean all I for play, uh, guys. Mm-hmm. Disclaimer: um, I'd kill Jay Ellis. I'd marry Mahershala. Okay. Fuck Daniel. Okay. Yeah. There you go. That's smart. You know that what? I smart. totally agree with that whole list. I feel yeah. like when it comes to like the killing portion, it's always like you don't want to kill them, but you, like there's no place else for them to go. Yeah, yeah it's like but, the last resort. Like, what are you? Gonna but do? why Mahershala to marry and why Daniel to fuck? Because Mahershala is like 
perfection. You gotta yeah, lock that down for life. He's an <laughs> incredible actor, human being. I'm. I think I'm. I'm just like enamored with everything he's accomplished. Watching how smooth he was and hidden figures, I'm like, can yeah, marry me, boy. And yeah. in like Empire too, and everything. I like, didn't see him in Empire, but I did see him. Wait, was in it Empire? Luke no, not Empire. Cage. Luke Cage. Luke Cage. <laughs> Luke Cage. Wait, I was like, like wait a Empire. Luke Cage. Like I don't My even bad, watch yo. Empire, and I know he not. He's not in that. <laughs> not Empire. <Luke laughs> he was in. He was in House of Cards as Ramy Danton. He was really good in that. He was a third. I mean, that was. He people just didn't. I guess we're not paying attention, you know. Before he was in Moonlight, but he's yeah. Pay attention. He's been in a lot of stuff. Do your research, y'all. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, All I'm right, gonna move on rather? to the would you rather. So, would you rather relive the same day for the whole year, sixty-five days, or lose a year of your life? And you have people running up to you like, "What happened to you yesterday?" What do you mean? What happened to me yesterday? <laughs> I would live every day over and over because I would just try to find it because then you could just do you could do so much. Yeah. Very you 50 could, first yeah. dates. And also like there's no consequences. You know, like you could just do whatever the hell you want. You could say whatever you want to people. And the next day it's like everyone's reset. Clean <laughs> reset. You can walk into it, you know, you can walk in, tell somebody what you think of them, get the real response, and it would be great. <laughs> That's really, you know what? That's true. That is very true. You can be brutally honest about everything. You can just be, it's like, you I know. I want to see how this person will react. Yeah, and then you know that test. tomorrow it's gonna be like it never even happened. It's hella shady though, but yeah, it is pretty shady because <laughs> then you could learn stuff from their responses, and then the next and the time next you're like, ooh, yeah, and you learn something about them. Like I don't think I want to know that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I very that. solid I answers. Like very solid answers. Well, tell the people where we can keep up with you and follow your all your endeavors. Like on, I have a website. Okay, I have a website. It's uh, just my first name, last name, minhalbeg dot com. Um, but I also where I'm most active is actually on Twitter. Yeah, I love her on Twitter. I'm, Twitter I'm her person. Twitter fan. I love Some, it. Yeah, it's it's like where I go. It's like real thoughts. Like real thoughts are on Twitter. Hashtag real, real thoughts. thoughts. Real thoughts. Hashtag real mm-hmm. thoughts. Sometimes people tell me like, maybe you should say that or write that on a social media profile. Maybe. But to that I say, there's a re. I think people respond to honesty because I feel like and sincerity because it's like seriously lacking. It's hard to in find. life. It's hard to find. <laughs> and I found I've made some of my best relationships and connections with people like other creatives other artists i'm at felton through twitter <laughs> like yeah. it's amazing like you just meet shout out felton people, like yeah shout out felton. it's quick caps on what you want to say you got 160 characters to say what you need to say show what you need to show go yeah. for it yeah utilize and those man, characters wisely and the coolest part of twitter is also you can literally reach out to anybody mm-hmm. like you know at like whoever you want yeah. And sometimes they respond. For real. For Don't real. Don't be scared, y'all. Come say hi to us. Guys, I met Barry Jenkins on Twitter. See, so, you're Barry a living Jenkins example. <laughs> that you can achieve anything. You can achieve it. Anything on Twitter if, if you, you try hard it, enough. You can achieve, you can achieve it. it. Well, Mihal, thank you so much. It's been thank such a pleasure me. talking to you. So I love getting behind didn't the scenes want it of the to film end, world. To be honest, I could ask you questions for the rest of my life. Oh my gosh, we got days but worth of questions. Up. And we'll leave it alone. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for agreeing to come on to our show. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, where can the people find you at, girlfriend? Y'all can find me 
at El Nas Naj on every platform. That's just my middle and my last name backwards. Is this your southern <laughs> accent? Wow. I know, is it? As a southern woman, I'm gonna tell you, I'm offended. You're culturally pro, you're culturally appropriating. My my my. Anyways, where can they find you? <laughs> Y'all can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Jaleesa Ambrose, and then on Instagram at I am Jaleesa with an extra A on the end. Don't forget, it's crucial. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can <laughs> you can find us. <laughs> At Black Girl Report, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, SoundCloud iTunes, iTunes, Stitcher. If you got that, you should get that. And yes. Shout out to Professor Fox of the Fox Den here at 1552. Yes, woo, yes. Looking it up, woo. making it sound so good and smooth and lovely all the time. Shout out to Fabre for our lovely, wonderful, wonderful, lovely music. Yes. Shout out to Felton and all the Off Kilter fam for helping us exist. Helping us out here. With this podcast. We out here. All right. And we're going to sign out. We'll see you guys next time. Peace, love, and all things above. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Peace, love, and all things above.